Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, more COVID-19 and staying at home. We're exploring the impact that the virus is having on all of our lives. Up first, the battle stepped up in Minnesota and around the nation this week as COVID-19 cases mounted. This will be like a winter we've never seen before. And as we've done for generations, once the leaves fall off the trees and the sky turns cold and gray, we prepare. There's no stopping the storm of COVID-19 from hitting Minnesota, but we are preparing for it. Governor Tim Walz set the tone for the week last Sunday night in his State of the State address delivered via YouTube from the governor's residence in St. Paul. MNN's Bill Werner, the news was not pleasant, was it? Scott, the governor did not mince words when he laid out the situation for Minnesotans. These last few weeks have been difficult, but it's only going to get harder. We're going to do everything in our power to save lives. And as hard as we work, we're not going to be able to save everyone. It's going to be a cold, long winter. But how do we get through cold, long winters? We get through them together as one Minnesota. The governor was clearly preparing Minnesotans for an extension of his stay-at-home order. What you are doing isn't paralysis. It's action. Staying home is the only vaccine we have right now. You are protecting your neighbors. You are giving hospitals time to prepare to care for the many who will fall ill. You are making a difference, and you are certainly saving lives. Republicans said that's clearly top priority, but urged Walls to do everything he can for Minnesota's struggling workers and businesses. I hope that he lifts the stay at home, and I hope he loosens up the job restrictions so more, more people can get back to work. If I thought it were healthy, and I didn't think this thing would spread, we would open up every business tomorrow. I know there's tremendous frustration over the fairness of some businesses being allowed to stay open while others are forced to close, even when they can practice social distancing. I want you to know that we hear you and we are fighting for you. Midweek, the governor announced his decision. I'm going to extend today the stay-at-home order until May 4th from the April 10th. The governor told Minnesotans current measures are working, that Minnesota has flattened the COVID-19 curve more than any other state. We bought some extra time that it is still entirely possible, and I think what the work I'm asking you to do is for us to avoid the overflowing of the hospitals. Closures of bars, restaurants, and other public gathering spaces also continue to May 4th. The governor's order could allow some businesses, such as landscaping and golf course maintenance, to reopen if they can maintain social distancing. I will not sacrifice the health of Minnesotans and the gains that we've made. These hard-earned gains and fights and sacrifices can be lost virtually overnight if we don't do this right. House Deputy Republican Leader Ann New said she's encouraged about the governor giving badly needed flexibility to some outdoor-based businesses. However... Right now it's a blanket approach and then roll back one by one. Really tricky because there are a whole lot of businesses that could be safely operating. Um, And so we need to figure out perhaps a more streamlined way to do that. Minnesotans get it. We are practicing social distancing and trying to keep people safe. And along with that, we need to balance what is happening to our workforce, to our small businesses, to the economy. 
Minnesota officials took immediate notice this week when dozens of COVID illnesses among workers shut down Smithfield Foods' major pork processing plant just across the border in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Governor Walls says... They are shut down because of what can happen if you don't get the social distancing and you don't get things right. You had a major manufacturing plant, in this case pork producing, but food producing, um, is shut down because of this. The governor says he wants what he terms a Minnesota moonshot to address the problem. At each of these food producing plants, we would test every single person to see who's already had it, test every single person if we thought there was a case to get immediate isolation. We would have uh, infrared thermometers or walkthroughs at every door, and that's the way we could ensure that we could get back to work. We can't just, I mean, risk this. If we send, again, this goes back to that question. If we send everybody back without doing this, and we shut down Hormel or we shut down General Mills, that becomes a, a national problem, not just a Minnesota problem. Lawmakers returned to the state capitol one day this week to pass a third round of COVID response legislation. Some members joining the debate and voting by phone, another unprecedented procedure in these unprecedented times. Bennett, Albert Lee, present. Bennett, Albert Lee, Present. The bill allowing emergency responders, health care providers, and corrections officers who contract COVID-19 to receive work comp benefits, even if they cannot prove that the illness is directly related to their job. It would be almost impossible for them to prove where they got it because they are exposed in so many places because they are not able to stay at home. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler says the cost is estimated between $320 and $580 million dollars. He argues even though lawmakers have little idea what shape the state budget is currently in, it's necessary to spend that money. I'm not denying that those frontline workers are important. I have a daughter that doesn't live in this state that's one of those people. And so I want to make sure that they're treated well. But I also want to make sure we can pay for this. Republican Representative Peggy Scott from Andover. St. Cloud Democrat Dan Wolgamott responded. Right now, there are Minnesota firefighters who are going into burning buildings, putting themselves at risk for COVID-19. Right now, there are nurses who are putting themselves at risk. At a time when much is uncertain, the governor had this message for Minnesotans this week. Stay home, continue this. We bought the time we needed. We're getting close to doing and accomplishing what we needed. Capacity of hospitals, capacity of ventilators, capacity of PPE, and keeping our first responders safe and their families taken care of. Governor, I know you ran on one Minnesota. We're really a half Minnesota. Anoka is half a town. There's nobody down there. These small companies that have been open as legacy businesses are languishing, and some will never open. And it's avoidable and can be changed today. I know how hard this is. Many of you are trying to watch your children at the same time you're trying to work from home. Many of you are out of work, and you're worried about the bills that are coming due. This is hard. Take a deep breath. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to each other. We're all doing the best we can, and that's all we can do. And as many Minnesotans celebrated Holy Week, the governor pointed to a better future. We're going to welcome that morning rush getting our kids out the door to school. We're going to smile pretty big as we see restaurants bustling with friends sharing a meal. And we will soon gather again in our houses of worship. Scott. Thank you, Bill. More on COVID-19 in Minnesota when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. 
I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors, and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. There are around 99,000 Minnesotans with Alzheimer's disease. Currently, there are around 144 caregiver support groups statewide, 31 of which have already moved online amid the COVID-19 outbreak. I recently spoke with the Alzheimer's Association of Minnesota and North Dakota's Leah Chalberg about the challenges of treating dementia patients during COVID-19 and the resources available to people in need of help. We serve all people who have been impacted by dementia. So that includes people diagnosed with anything such as memory loss, mild cognitive impairment, and specific kinds of dementias like Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, and frontotemporal dementia, and so forth. And we serve people who provide care for people who are living with the diagnosis, as well as long-term care systems. Um, and really anyone who is impacted by this disease. And uh, I'm assuming that uh, your organization, as well as just about every other in the country and in the state of Minnesota, are being heavily impacted by COVID-19. I'm curious, what kinds of challenges are you facing uh, with your particular organization? Yes. So we have, as an organization, Um, in an effort to follow the CDC guidelines as closely as possible, have moved everything into the virtual sphere. So everything now is either conducted via phone or is conducted online through a variety of virtual platforms. So that means that all of our support groups have moved on to the phone. It's probably the most common format for our support groups. And right now, we actually have over 30 of our support groups in April and May that are available for anybody in Minnesota and North Dakota to join. And we've also moved our community education classes online and by phone as well. And we actually have quite a few coming up over the next few weeks. So as people are at home and wanting to learn more about either how to stay healthy in regards to keeping their brain healthy or if they want to learn more about how to be a better care provider for people with dementia, we've got some virtual classes that are free and live. Obviously, we're in uncharted territory here. I'm curious, uh, I know you've probably only been doing it this way for a relatively brief period of time, but how is it going so far, doing things uh, via phone and other methods? Is Is it working well? Yeah, yeah. We, I would say, let's see, we've had our first education class last Friday. And just like any education class, the dress rehearsal runs really well. And then there's always, you know, some tech issues at the beginning. But once we got through those, I would say that, you know, the 50 plus people who participated 
were able to receive great information on how to effectively communicate with people with dementia. So, you know, there have been a few hiccups here and there, but I don't think they've um, interfered with our ability to communicate evidence-based information as well as with people's ability to receive and um, internalize and implement that information. Uh, Leah, I'm wondering, what would your message be to caregivers or potential caregivers for Alzheimer's patients in this uh, very uh, challenging time right now? What What do they need to know? Mm. Yeah. I would say to caregivers of people with a diagnosis or caregivers of people who think um, that there might be a diagnosis that we see you and we are here for you. And just because we aren't in our offices or in our you know, buildings, we have a 24-7 helpline that is always available. It's staffed by dementia care experts. And it's literally available any time of the day or night for people who are caregivers or care partners to call and get support to you know, be heard by an understanding and skilled listening ear. And that number is 1-800-272-3900. I'm wondering if you have any particular advice. Obviously, because of the times that we're living in right now, most of us don't have, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, we don't have a lot of extra gas in the tank at the end of the day. Just getting through the day yeah. is a, a struggle enough. Do you have any yeah. advice for folks that uh, that maybe have concerns about a loved one and they want to find out more about uh, whether or not you know they're they're going down the road of dementia or Alzheimer's when when they may not have a lot of energy themselves at the end of the day? How do we how do we manage all of that? Mm, it's such a great question, and we're all professionals and care providers alike, all trying to figure that out. Um, I will say that depending on your level of technological comfort, a really easy way to share your concerns and get them addressed is to either contact our 24-7 helpline at 1-800-272-3900, or if that's even too much, because sometimes it's just too much to talk to one more person. If you've got internet capability, our website, www.alz.org, is a really great place and a low-energy way to find out information and to find out you're not alone and to get resources on, on how to help yourself and others in this time. And I just want to check with you before we wrap things up here, Leah, in terms of uh, rural versus metro, do we have services available to folks throughout the state? And uh, is there any difficulty for folks to get the, the help that they need, perhaps if they're in greater Minnesota? That's a wonderful question. And we are really proud of the fact that we have offices and care consultants all around the state of Minnesota. So we have care consultants who are um, centered on the Fergus Falls, uh, you know, western Minnesota area. We have care consultants in St. Cloud who serve kind of southwestern Minnesota. Uh, we have care consultants in Duluth who serves kind of the northeast area. And then we here in the metro serve our metro as well as the southern Minnesota area. So no matter where you're located, rural or urban, 
that's not shouldn't be don't let that be a barrier for getting the help that you need because we have you covered thank you to my guest leah chalberg with the alzheimer's association of minnesota and north dakota minnesota matters returns after this Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought many changes to how we live our lives, and with it, uncertainty, altered daily routines, financial pressures, and social isolation. Tasha Radel takes a closer look. That's right, Scott. Social interaction and emotional health are definitely intertwined in this coronavirus outbreak. And during this time when social interaction is limited, we have to look for alternatives. Here to offer some tips is Dr. Beth Rush, a Mayo Clinic psychologist. Dr. Rush, let's start with uncertainty. This can become quite paralyzing. When people have to respond to change, the best thing to think about is whether or not we need to fear what's uncertain. Uncertainty is something that we're all uncomfortable with. And when we're uncomfortable, we tend to become anxious. So if we can learn to embrace uncertainty as something that we can handle and then we take the time to address, then it becomes more bearable. It becomes something we can live through. Take a pause once in a while. Am I feeling overwhelmed? Why am I feeling overwhelmed? And what do I have within me to be able to manage that? It's important that we do that so that we don't spread our anxiety to other people, our children, knowingly or unknowingly. If we're not handling stress well, we can't expect our children to handle it very well. So make sure that you know you need to be checking in with yourself and monitoring your own stress and how it surfaces so that you can make sure you're setting a good example for your children. I know working from home has posed a number of challenges for many, including myself. It seems like my routine is just off. And I'll admit, this is kind of embarrassing. There have been days I've worked in my pajamas and I admit again, not even showered. Is this normal? I think one thing that works very well is coming up with a schedule. We know from all of the literature that having a schedule, being able to journal things, having set times that we do things helps allay some of the fear and anxiety. We know what's coming up in our own home. So maybe designing a household schedule, and this is something I've been considering doing with my own family, is doing things at certain times during the day, despite the fact that we're not in a structured school schedule or a structured work schedule. I think something else we are all dealing with is information overload, which in itself causes some stress. I think it's really hard to figure out how much news we need and how much social media we need during a time of isolation, such as self-quarantining or being at home with our kids. I think you know yourself best. You know whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You know how much information you need. I think it's important to evaluate the sources of information that you're listening to and the amount of time you're spending on those sources. For instance, you may want to spend more time listening to CDC updates and referencing websites and less time on Facebook listening to someone's reaction to a CDC update. At some point, you're going to feel totally overwhelmed and you're going to need a timeout. And you can respond to it with any of these things, exercise, meditation, journaling, a moment with your family, or even a nap. And in closing today, Dr. Rush, I know you have a great tip for folks who are healthy. It's called the 20-second hug. During times of uncertainty, 
Embrace someone that you love and hold them. Be still with them. Do nothing else for 20 seconds. And that communicates a sense of calm and certainty that wasn't present before the hug started. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Beth Rush, a Mayo Clinic psychologist. Well, Scott, I bet there will be a lot of hugs across Minnesota today. Back to you. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors, and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The sports world continues to be on hold, and MN sports director Mike Grimm takes a look at some of the impact it's having on Minnesota. Scott, the coronavirus has put stresses on everyone in America, and that includes the sports world. In Minnesota sports, there are some areas hit hard by this, particularly from a business standpoint. No games for the Twins, Wolves, Wild, or United have left workers without jobs, teams without revenue, and more. There is still no golfing for the public, and that has put big pressure on the state's golf clubs, according to the executive director of the Minnesota Golf Association, Tom Ryan. There is a concern, and the, the biggest concern is just when we can start, number one, and you're right, just uh, under what restrictions and circumstances are we can we operate. Because already, um, so many facilities, it's not just the golf that drives their, their revenue and the success, financial success, the business success of, of the course during the year. It's also the, the food and beverage that they sell and the banquet, the banquets that they sell. So, you know, many private clubs and some daily fee facilities have, uh, or most private clubs, I should say, and, and some daily fees, you know, uh, do a ton of banquets and weddings. Um, you know, the golf outings that exist, the charitable outings that go on. And the question is, you know, just what is the size of the gatherings that are going to be allowed and what impact is going to have on that part of the business? They already know it's going to be impacted. Um, and it's just to what extent, because we don't know how long we're going to have to be living under the limited gatherings and, and that sort of thing. So that's already impacted. On the golf side, of course, you really don't know how the rounds are going to be impacted. I, I was talking to uh, my son who coaches uh, and, and umpires youth baseball. Is there going to be a, a you know, youth baseball this year. Is there going to be softball, lacrosse, all those summer sports, soccer? And if not, there may be more of a, of a, of a chance for the courses to really make up because people are going to be looking for other things to do. So the golf side really remains to be seen, but there is a hit on the food and beverage for sure and will continue to be, I, I believe. And, and remember, and I think it's important, you know, we're talking kind of from an industry standpoint, you know, virtually every golf course in the state is a small business in and of itself. The daily fee public. The private clubs, whether they're owned by individuals or the members, they're still, they're still, you know, small businesses, and 
they're fighting it just like the businesses now that are that are fighting it, um, the restaurants and the bars and and in some of the service areas. So you know we're kind of in that mix, that small business mix. It's being impacted, and at least we think by getting some people back on the golf course, we're able to recover a little bit and put a couple people anyway back to work. Canterbury Park has put its horse racing season on hold. Track spokesman Jeff Madey says they're trying to handle things the best they can. We last week furloughed 850 employees and. Now there is no certainty. There's no, you know, we, we have no idea when we can all come back to work or, or even even a, a few of us can come back to work. So that that's the real difference. And we, we decided on March 14th uh, to, that we needed to cease operations and did so on the 16th. And then later that day, the governor issued um, the executive orders, which would have shut us down anyway. Uh, we We guaranteed our employees two weeks of pay and then Last week, April first was was the date that we had to furlough everyone. But so we didn't lay anyone off. We we kept them on. They still have benefits, um, but they have no no weekly income. So that's it's frightening for a lot of people with this just complete uncertainty of when they can come back to work. And you know, obviously, Canterbury is not the only one in that boat. Everyone is. Anyone in the service and entertainment I- industry, which we are, are in that same situation where we just don't know when. We can go back to work or what even normal will be when we do go back to work. And from that standpoint, you mentioned, unfortunately, you had to furlough um, 850 workers. Um, what, what, what do you, what is the best case? What do you hope if, if that, because um, I know you're a summertime, mostly a summertime, uh, you know, obviously uh, event and entertainment, as you mentioned, but um, there's a lot of stuff happening on the grounds there in terms of training horses, uh, stabling horses, all of that. What's best case? What are you guys hoping that, uh, that, that um, you know, you might be able to salvage some stuff here? Well, as far as the summer racing season, I guess we have so many different you know business segments. We had the the big Twin Cities Summer Jam concert, which is part of our entertainment um, segment of our business, was going to be this summer. That's been postponed till next year, until 2021. And we've got our simulcast and card casino year-round, 24/7 operation. That was most of the employees that we furloughed. And then the live racing piece, which was scheduled to begin May 15th won't begin May 15th. And, and it's it's a little bit like, say, baseball or football, where there's it's not the same training camp, but there is a, a time before the meet actually starts where you need to get people and horses and the workers and everything moved into the stable area. And that normally would have happened in about two weeks' time. We've pushed that back to now no earlier than May 1st, so no certain date when we can open the backside. But we're the summer home to... 1,500 horses from around the country and several hundred workers as well that live on site. So they're they're relying on being able to come to Canterbury at some point, and that's just the nature of the business is that it's a, there's a, a transient population of horses and workers that go from track to track, from Phoenix to Canterbury, from Tampa to Canterbury, from from Kentucky to Canterbury. And, and you know when those tracks shut down, they move on to the next racetrack. So what we need to do is figure out the, the most... Um, I guess, the, the safest way that we can open that backside area. The Golden Gopher Athletic Department could lose between 10 and $75 million in revenue, depending on how long there are no games. College sports at all levels are impacted. That includes Division Two, where Minnesota State Mankato Athletic Director Kevin Beisman says. There's so many things as, as you sit on the sidelines and sort of assess how, how are you know, our corporate partners you know, going to weather this storm and are they going to be able to financially support Maverick Athletics in a way that's similar to the way they have in the past when, when uh, uh, the impact to the economy is, is, is really knocked them off, off kilter as well. So a lot to ponder with how this all works from a sports business standpoint. 
Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Please stay safe. Thank you for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.